welcome to Stop Back and Roll, the podcast where we... What are we doing today? I didn't plan for this. Uh, someone should have written something. I'm James. And I'm Brandon. Today we'll be talking about hacking how you prepare for your game. Switching from planning every detail to making your world feel alive. So you're going to be doing some kind of a live-streamed game this week, or today, actually, probably, right? Yeah, it's going to be releasing the same day that we're releasing this episode. So uh, if it is Tuesday and it's 12 o'clock, we're starting up right now. And your and your intent is to record that and put it up on YouTube at some point. Oh, yeah, it's going to go right up onto YouTube, probably immediately after. Yeah, so even if you're not listening to this episode right on Tuesday... Tuesday the 26th of July, you can go take a look and find that episode somewhere. Yeah, and if you feel like watching us while we stream, it's uh, Meg from Modifier, Jeff from Party of One, and Quinn from Swallows of the South, and me playing teenage superhero game Masks that I talk about incessantly without ever stopping. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Masks is a is a game we talk about a lot, and it's a, it's, it, it is itself a hack of Apocalypse World. Uh, although at this point it's basically a full game because I mean that's what Apocalypse World hacks are. It stands on its own so well and it takes so many different giant liberties with it. Um, I can't gush about this game enough. I'm going to gush about it later in this episode a tiny bit, but I'll try not to get too overboard. Are you going to do anything to tweak the game specifically for this one-off or? At this point I'm not really sure. There's nothing that is shouting out to me right now. The main thing that I'm doing with this is just seeing how feasible it is for us Mm -hmm. to record games and put them up. I won't be participating in that because I will be at work, but I will try to turn it on and take a listen. Yeah, hopefully it's good. We'll see what happens. You know how live things always uh, a little unpredictable. They always go flawlessly. Yeah. So actually, that works out really well because we are recording on Thursday before the Tuesday of the game. So you were probably into a bit of prep mode for that game. You're starting to think about stuff that you're going to do in that, right? I am indeed. Which is Uh, perfect, because we're going to talk about prepping today. It's almost like we planned it. Yeah. We didn't. Except we didn't. (laughs) But it's Um, almost like like we did. And this is definitely, I think, a little bit of a... It's it's a it's a departure from what we've done in the past in terms of episodes, because we've talked a lot about hacking games or doing specific things with games. This episode is probably going to be a bit more like the the technology episode we did early on, um, because mostly I'm going to talk to you about the way that you prep for games because you do this a lot more than I do, and my understanding is that it's pretty different than maybe the way a lot of people uh, prep. And so we want to talk about hacking your own prep session. Yeah, that's exactly how I pitched it to you, is I was like, this seems like something that could be useful or interesting to talk about. I don't know if it's a really big hacking product, but we can totally justify calling it hacking your prep. So close enough. So the main thing that I look at when I'm setting up a game is I differentiate between prepping and planning. Okay. If you are taking out a piece of graph paper and drawing a map and writing there are three kobolds in this room and they have 25 coins and a potion of bear strength, then you are planning. 
you're setting up exactly what it is that the players are going to be doing. On the same token, if you say, I know that they are going to be going up against Magnet Lord the Destroyer, yeah. and you're statting out Magnet Lord the Destroyer, and you're choosing all his minions and all of that stuff, that's also planning. And planning works really, really well for some people, I'm sure. But I find that I just don't have time for it, and I don't really enjoy it as much as yeah. I think some other people do. It also probably works better for certain games than others. Some games you need to have, like some more stat-heavy games, you need to have those more specific stat blocks to make combat feel interesting. But for games where you're not necessarily focusing as much on um, combat, you can kind of, you don't need to do that. Yeah, I think it would be hard to make a really engaging Dungeons and Dragons conflict without extensive knowledge of the monster manual or planning. Uh, but with me playing all Apocalypse World games mostly, it's a little bit easier for yeah. me to get away with prep. Okay, so what do you mean by prep then? So what I mean by prep is coming up with general concepts and ideas before I hit the table. And a lot of this is focused on learning the game and actually having a little bit of, of system mastery, which usually refers to grokking a system because it's super complicated, but I'm talking more about understanding the narrative pieces of the system. Mm -hmm. As an example, all of the uh, Apocalypse World games have different playbooks, and those playbooks point very specifically to what kind of thing the player wants to do. Uh, in Urban Shadows, there is a werewolf, and if a player points at the werewolf... That says to me, I want to protect my territory, I want to be scary and fierce, and I want to bite anybody that comes and messes with me and my crew. So, without any other thought, without anything else coming up, if literally nothing comes up that interests the werewolf, I know that I can interest them by saying, hey, there are some vampires hedging in on your turf. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So I have now run, uh, I think, three or four different games with a werewolf. And anytime the werewolf comes up, hey, there are vampires edging in on your turf. Ooh, that's not good. It is good, though, because... I mean, it's not good for the werewolf. Oh, no, it's not good for the werewolf. That's terrible. Very bad for the pack. Uh, but my thinking is just, if you are wanting to play that fierce character, you don't want these pretty boy leeches coming in and taking your stuff. Yeah. So what that comes down to with any game you're going to run is looking through the individual playbooks and taking cues from those playbooks. A lot and, of the games... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, I was going to say, and for games that don't have playbooks, because some of us play games that aren't just Apocalypse or Hex... I don't think um, that's true. <laughs> if we want to dovetail that, that idea of prepping, not planning by looking at characters and what the characters want to do, you can kind of connect that to what we talked about last week with um, ingrained genres in games. And you can look at the system and say, what kind of stories does this system want to tell? And how can I then think of types of stories that are like that and then move in that direction? Absolutely. And just having some awareness of the system and really knowing the system inside and out can help with that. I mean, honestly... I could write a dungeon and bring it in for a group of D&D &D players to play the first session of, and then learn that there isn't a rogue. And I've filled it with traps. 
and mm-hmm. I've wasted all that planning. That planning is gone. That planning is useless. Or as soon as someone says rogue, I think to myself, okay, swinging blades, pits, fire, mm-hmm. all that. And then you're good to go. Yeah. And in a larger sense, you know, if you're going into a D and D game, D and D is a sort of mechanics heavy. Um, it's it, in some certain, um, for certain editions of D and D, you're talking a lot of uh, miniatures, so you can kind of be thinking the story we're going to want to tell is probably going to be combat focused. It's going to involve fights breaking out between people and people punching each other. So I should find stories or games ideas that push in that direction. Absolutely, and I think you're seeing in more and more games things that make that very clear to the GM. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember back in my 3.5 days reading a book that's like the book for the barbarians, some sort of thing. And it had all this stuff that's like, hey, GM, if someone is playing a barbarian, this is what they want. Hmm. But now it seems like there's plenty of games that are coming out that do that for all the classes just cooked into the rule book. Yeah. Uh, the first place I saw it was Monster Hearts, that it specifically had for each of the playbooks uh, what that playbook is about, what someone playing that playbook might be interested in, and which moves they choose suggesting different things that they're most interested in pursuing. So just having that knowledge ahead of time, and I can see I have masks, the core GM reference for masks pulled up right in front of me. They've got that for all the character classes right here as well. Yeah, and the cool thing about masks, and and I I haven't looked at the GM guides for uh, Urban Shadows, but I'm assuming it's probably similar, is that you don't necessarily have a corresponding... um, paragraph in the playbook that says this is what you want it's just if the player is reading through their playbook they're going to naturally come to the same conclusions if the game is designed well absolutely which masks is yeah right so the player knows what they're going for without everybody having to read an extra paragraph because it makes it super clear i mean most of the time when you sit down to grab a playbook no one is surprised that the gun lugger is a guy with a big gun yeah so, yeah, that's that's kind of my first step, is I look at what are the players doing, and what is my pre-written story mm-hmm. for each of those things. And then I just weave them together. Yeah. If I have a wizard that has all sorts of artifacts he needs to get, guess what? Those vampires go in and on the wolf's territory, have they the have the artifacts. artifact. Or, or similarly, if you sit down with a people and you have a gunlugger, and maybe you have a driver... Well, now you know you probably should have a car chase of some sort, and you should have people to shoot at. So there oh, are yeah, absolutely. people in the other cars that you're going to be shooting at while the driver is driving. In Masks, if someone plays the Transformed, that session immediately includes a discussion of passing privilege for mutants. Yeah. And that is so interesting to be able to delve into. And so you can kind of, as you're prepping, you can look at all the things that your characters might choose to be, and start thinking of elements for their story that would be great to bring in. And then as you're seeing if either if they've picked beforehand or while they're picking at the beginning of the session, you can be thinking, how do I connect all of these different elements that I've already thought about into a story that is unique for this group? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have uh, in my group, a bull, a delinquent and a legacy and guys don't listen, turn this off. If you're listening uh, 
I guarantee this story is about getting into trouble with important authority figures. Because mm-hmm. that is what the legacy is about. It's about being Superboy and getting into trouble. That is what the delinquent is about. It's about getting up to bad stuff. And the bull not thinking through their decisions. Yeah. So that's going to be, that's just going to be authority figures all over the place. Yeah. That's cool. I like that. It It is definitely, I can see how thinking of sort of story hooks and for the different kinds of characters you're going to, you might see and then linking them together would be better and, and give you more flexibility than just sort of saying, here's the bad guy. Here's his five minions. Exactly. And James, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. We just met a guard. What is his name? Uh, Steve. Steve. What's Steve's last name? Guard. Yeah. See, no good. That's the second thing that I always have. Steve Guard. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Is he a superhero? Steve Guard. No. So that's exact. That's the second thing I do. Mm -hmm. Come up with bad names. I come up with bad names. That is 100% true. I could not write names for the life of me. But I see lots of newbie GMs that bring in a folder full of things that have a billion maps that tell you how many coppers are in the good wife's pockets and then the first time you 12. meet a guard, 12, the first time you meet a guard, you ask that immediate first question, what is the guard's name? Steve Guard. And so all of the guards are named Steve Guard, where Not everyone else... That only works once, Brandon. Where only everyone else is, guard. is Isildur. Yeah. And so having a list of genre names is a really great starting point that is now in a bunch of different books. Uh, generally, any Apocalypse World book at least on the playbook, will have some names that you can farm. That ruins my my player uh, tactic of asking every character's name, and if the GM has a name prepped already, I know I shouldn't kill that character. Yeah, exactly. So I can say to you, oh, this is Salvador. And you're like, okay, that guy might be important. And then you but talk maybe... to the gym teacher, and I'm yeah. like, oh, his name is Marcos. <laughs> this this town is really South American. I just happened to <laughs> to be making those choices. Full of important people or villains. Uh, but that means that you can hide which characters are important and which ones aren't. Because also, <laughs> there's no reason that any character shouldn't be important. Mm-hmm. If your teenage superheroes get stopped in the hallway by the music teacher, and they decide that they're interested in the music teacher, guess what? He's a bad guy. Or he's a good guy. He's either going to be in peril or he's no. going to be uh, shooting fire from his eyes. I have taken some music classes, Brandon. He's a bad guy. But so with that list, you can have a list for whatever sort of genre you're doing. You don't want to have an elf named Stonebeard. So if you're doing fantasy... That's a great idea, though. That's a terrible name for I an elf. Ha- I hate your restrictions already. Well, I'm sorry, James. <laughs> I'd so, be so interested in why his name is Stonebeard. Sorry, I'm derailing okay, this conversation. You, you can what? have an elf named Stonebeard. Put it on what, your elf what, list. What happened to him in his past? His family is named Stonebeard. <laughs> like, did he live with elves for a while? Or dwarves for a while? Did he... Was there a weird stone face accident? In but any case... Yeah, but yeah. I see your point. Yeah, you don't want to uh, open up your... You don't want to open up your list of code names for people and get rachel that's not super helpful so make them separate lists or steve guard or steve guard uh i also like to take a look at the names ahead of time 
and really focus in on what kind of people they might be. Mm-hmm. With some things, like first names or last names, that's not necessarily super helpful unless you're doing a very genre-focused game and you're going for, like, Lana Lane, Lois Lane-style yeah. names. But I'm looking at the superhero names right now for masks. And on that name list, it has a bunch of things. It has Glacier, Warp Star, Rockhammer, Zero Hour. You fought uh, Rockhammer, I think. Those are all people I want to fight. They're all people yeah, you want to fight. We might have fought a Warp Star. I feel like you used that name. We might have. But I, I will tell you right now, if anyone else fights Rockhammer, for me, it's the same dude. Mm-hmm. I see hmm. that name, and just having it on the list, I have an association with it. And because I've spent some time with the list ahead of time, I can not only just draw the name, I can draw the character. That's cool, yeah. And so if I'm looking for something that is, hey, we're just going to beat up a guy that is a big, scary dude, Rockhammer's perfect. He's a guy with a giant rock hammer. He's very basic. So you're not just creating a list of names, you're almost creating a list of, like, again, character ideas. Oh, yeah, and I just drop them in. And uh, you you could write that out. Yeah, absolutely, Maybe. if you wanted to. But then you'd have a big binder full of stuff. Yeah. Um, I like just keeping it as a consistent thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm very comfortable using Rockhammer in seven different games as exactly the same character. Yeah. Because there's no harm in it. You are saving yourself prep. And if you've taken some time to get good with that character and really figure them out, then that character will be better for it. Yeah. I'm a person who sometimes struggles to remember things and i like to see things written out and it's pretty easy to go oh well and to, to think i don't want to use that name with that character association because i just need a name right now but if i wanted here's a cool thought at like one sentence character i could go with yeah and absolutely if you've got a moment that you're like okay someone needs to attack look at the list you've got a list of characters and you've got some associations and maybe you don't remember all of them Mm-hmm. One example, Zero Hour is on this list. And at first I was looking at that name, and the first time I ran a character with that name, it was really boring, I wasn't really sure what I was doing with him. The second time I ran it, I was like, Zero Hour, coming towards the end of something, and decided this was a almost Walter White-style character that had gotten into supervillainy because he's dying. Mm, that's cool. Right? That's cool. That's fun. And now, next time I play, and I look at my sheet... I'll see Zero Hour and I'll say, you know what, things have been a little bright and cheery lately. Why don't we make it a little bit darker and stick Zero Hour in there? Yeah, I like that. I mean, that works really well if you're playing the same game over and over again. Right, and so what that means is when you get a new game, you should consider what sorts of names you might use and what those characters might be. Mm -hmm. And even if they are very standard names, it could be that you make a decision hey, this is the name on this list when I introduce this character with this name, I'm just going to do the same character. You want to be mm-hmm. sure you're not doing like a terrible stereotype and being a bad person? Uh, but there's no reason you can't essentially replay that character yeah. in order to be able to continue giving them depth. Uh, that's actually leads into something that I really want to bring up is that you can pay your planning forward. I hear GM say all the time, oh, my players did this, and it threw everything off, and now I have to rewrite my entire story. Mm-hmm. No, you don't. Okay. Almost ever. Are you sure? I'm 
almost positive. Okay. If Please help you... me, Ben. Yes, okay. So, uh, you've got a plan that your characters are going to go into a dungeon and fight this bad guys. But first, they're going to get off of a boat. And your players say, forget that noise. We steal the boat. And now they're pirates. Yeah. This has happened in probably a fifth of <laughs> RPGs. Or, maybe uh, higher. Or maybe 50%. you're playing a Star Wars game and the GM has planned for you to start the rebellion, but instead you steal a warehouse and start an antiquing company. In that case, you just let them play out the antiquing. That, that's, what hap- that's what we did. <laughs> it worked so well. It worked really, really well, and we got to do a heist, and it was good. But there's no reason. Let's bring it back to the dungeon. Okay. They're now pirates. They arrive on a deserted island that they have reason to be- believe is filled with treasure. Mm-hmm. Guess what's there? The stuff that was going to be in the dungeon? Exactly. The dungeon. If they, say, go into the first room and they say, forget this noise, and they go to a different island... Guess what's there? The same thing they saw in the last room. No, you changed the first room. (laughs) Well, okay. (laughs) The only things you need to change are the things that they saw. And if you have a sandbox game and you say, oh, in this town there is this. There's a duke whose son Mm -hmm. is missing. That duke lives in every single city until (laughs) you establish him in a city. Okay. Same goes, same goes for any of the planning in a more prep-based game. The wolf is introduced to my Urban Shadows game. I drop the hint that there are vampires coming in, and they decide to go play arcade games all day. That's fine. Session two. Guess what's happening? Vampires. vampires. I mean, even if you come up with an idea for a character, for like, you have a curmudgeonly old vampire man who's upset about these young whippersnapper werewolves and they decide to instead not go investigate the werewolves or uh, vampires they instead want to go play in the arcade you could use that same curmudgeonly old man character you've thought of as the guy who runs the arcade rather than as the head vampire a hundred percent and you can have these characters pre-written in the same way that i was talking about with zero hour Mm -hmm. i have a werewolf guy he is the leader of the pack his name is bane and he is a biker guy, unless someone establishes otherwise. Mm-hmm. And he has a list of character traits, and he has a little little bit of sad backstory that I can throw in if I want to. You could even grab the character of Zero Hour from your Masks prep book and put it into Urban Shadows and use it as just a, a, a guy. Absolutely. It's way easier for me to keep track of who I've introduced people to than it is for me to write a new adventure every session. Mm-hmm. And that might sound like I'm cheating people and that I'm, like, tricking people, but it isn't, because you're still taking what they give you first. Yeah. So, if the wolf says, no, Bane is not the pack leader, or if the wolf kills the pack leader, or if the wolf specifically says that the pack leader is female, then all of those things are just true. And maybe Bane is a girl. Bane is not the most feminine of names, but Bane is a fine name for a woman, or if they give you a specific name, then fine. That's the name of the character, and you're good to go. You actually did that um, by accident, I would say, in a game that I ran for you. Um, I ran a a steampunk game for you and a a bunch of other people. Yes. And there was was a character who who I had planned to be a 
he was the guy who's going to be the pirate who was running, who was attacking the the steam train. Okay. And I had intended for you guys to spend some more time talking to talking to the people on the train to get information, but you had kind of breezed past all that. Yeah, we didn't so want to suddenly talk to anybody. I needed to give you a whole bunch of information that you hadn't gone to search for. Right. And so I turned the character who was supposed to be just this this bad guy pilot or um like air pilot airship pilot captain into sort of a mercenary who was willing to chat with you. Yeah, absolutely. And having characters that are there to chat for you is kind of the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy to say, oh, the characters didn't get this clue or didn't fully understand this clue. Now they are talking to someone who wants to complain to them about the problem they're dealing with. Yeah. So that's good. I like that. Yeah. I like the idea of movable set pieces. Yeah, it's like, I I guess it's, I hate to use the word modules, because modules has a specific meaning in role-playing games, but it's like modular pieces for a game. Yeah, and especially that would work really well if you made your modules or your um, your segments sort of very vague, like going into a superhero story, you know it's going to probably take, or going into a uh, like a heist story. You know there's going to be a planning phase, there's going to be an execution phase, there's going to be a getaway phase. And so if you kind of plan out some people who will be in each of those phases, then no matter how those phases ex- like exactly go in the moment, you could... You've got plans, because you know those things, those three phases are probably going to happen. Yeah, and you can give a little bit more depth also to the characters that they do interact with without having to spend a whole day writing them. Because I just go around day-to-day in my life, kind of building up these characters. And just sometimes I will spend a whole day just talking in a silly voice to myself while I get stuff <laughs> done, so that then I can do that silly voice. Yeah, I do that, but with characters for myself. Yeah, 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 because character voice also is something with what sorts of words they use and stuff like that as well. Yeah. So the last thing that I kind of want to touch on before we start going to some of your ideas is yeah. the idea of picking, not rolling. Okay. This is controversial. D&D is filled with all sorts of stuff that it's like, hey, do you want to cut down on your time spent planning stuff? Roll on these tables. That's fine if you want to make a game out of planning, but that is planning, not prepping. Yeah. Prepping is when you get your little ideas and you figure out how they fit together. And so I wouldn't want to roll on this table and say, oh, the bad guy this time is Dream Tiger. I'm leaning on masks a lot because I happen to have it right next to me. Yeah. I don't know who Dream Tiger is. I've not spent any time getting into that character's head. I have no clue. So if I roll that, not only do I waste the time saying, oh, hold on, let me get my dice. Sugar, 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 sugar. Oh, uh, that's five down. One, two, three, four, five. That's all wasted time. Yeah. And so if you can just point at a piece of paper and know that every result is something that you've thought of already, that's faster. Yeah. And so if you do have a table and you are insisting upon rolling, make sure you know exactly what to do with everything on that table first. Yeah. Which makes some tables totally useless. A GM should not look at the 100 weird items from D&D and say, I'm going to use this to build an adventure in this very moment because they haven't had time to think over all 100 yeah. items. But I have in the past sat down with that 100 item list 
what with that 100 items list before an adventure and said which of these items is really cool let me build an adventure around that and oh yeah then, and then know at the end of the cave wherever that cave is whether it be it on an island or in a cave um there's this crazy deck of cards at the end oh yeah I wanna, absolutely I introduce this thing into my game and there's nothing wrong with that and you picked <clears> it off that list and even if you rolled it that's fine and it's okay yeah. to plan things just know that planning doesn't necessarily help you yeah. for some people it will at the risk of being stupidly obvious about it a table is just a list that has numbers in front of it <laughs> i agree and, completely and if you if you have gone through your list of names and you have a good idea of what all those names are and you want to slap numbers down in front of them so you can roll and pick them at random i mean then that works because you've gone through all of those names and come up with character ideas that also reminds people, though, that the world doesn't exist. Uh, something that a lot of players really enjoy is delving into a world and feeling like it's a world that they're going to, not a world that's being made up. Yeah. And okay, so if you roll how. your die right before you say something, then that character isn't named Betty. Yeah. That character had no name and now has the name Betty. Yeah, that would definitely pull you out of the immersion. Yeah, and I know one of the pieces of advice that's given a lot is ask players what the character's name is but names are hard and the player doesn't have a list of names in front of them if you as the gm can make the decision to have a list of names in front of you then you'll be able to make a bunch of thematic names and that's especially important if you have a setting that's very dependent upon names because you need those characters to reinforce the setting if you're playing legend of the five rings you don't want which is a uh samurai game and it's very immersed in the culture you, you don't, don't want steve guard you don't want steve guard steve guard gonna... is clearly a brooklynite name yeah yeah no one named steve guard lives outside of brooklyn because that's just a, a regional name and so you want to hit those regional names wherever they are whether the place exists or not yeah on that same token when i release telenovela world there's going to be a list of character names on each playset, and probably a separate list of character names. All of those are going to be Latino names of some kind. Yeah. Because in a telenovela, that's what you're looking at. Yeah. And so the names yeah. will help to re- reflect that and add more bacon genre. Yeah. Because really, I mean, one of the things that we come back... One of the things that I will probably come back to a whole bunch is that <laughs> even if the game mechanic like the game system you're playing isn't something that has a whole ton of genre baked into it you can bake genre into your prep by coming up with prep uh, game and theme appropriate names absolutely so even even if you're playing something like fate or something like which i'll get into later uh or dungeons and dragons which doesn't have a lot of i mean dungeons and dragons sort of has a lot of setting built into it but you can pick a specific fantasy setting um or play a samurai game in 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 D&D and that'll work mechanically, mm-hmm. but there isn't a lot of genre built into that for that genre. But you can do that by picking names, by thinking of character types and settings. Absolutely. And that also can help get around sometimes some character, some player silliness. Because if you end up with players with silly names, which can happen, and then you just have a conversation about theme, at least you won't end up with NPCs in the moment with silly names. 
And if I tell the players ahead of time, look, this is Martin, this is uh, Alvaro, this is Alejandra, this is Paula, then that gives them cues on what kinds of things to name their characters. So James, you, so those are kind of my big things that I do when I'm prepping a game. Mm-hmm. So, but so you also had some thoughts on prep and how to do prep and how to hack prep and all yeah, that. Yeah, I don't nearly run as many games as you do because I just don't have, I don't have as much fun doing it. But I do have yeah, some... Yeah, I, I prefer running games, which is good to have people that do that. But yeah. it's also good to have people that prefer to play games. And I just have, a, I have some different methodologies that I like. And a lot of the way that I think about prepping for games is I I've played a bunch of games I've played a lot of games and a lot of those games have some prep built into them okay and I'm because I'm the kind of person who doesn't mind hacking things I like pulling built-in prep from certain games and just taking it with me wherever I go okay the first line here of your little outline is now making me less angry (laughs) yeah than it was when I first read that yeah, and so kind of, and so what I mean by that is, I guess I'll say the the framework by which I approach planning for a game is is that I think about everything like fate. One of the things that fate does is it has you establish locations that are important to the plot, and it has right. you establish faces for every location, and so kind of in the way that you have you're nameless and you've started thinking about characters before i tend to think about one character for every location and so that can be like think about the town hall that can be think about the town hall who's the mayor think about the police station who's the the, like the police chief but that can also be who's that kid who hangs around the skate park who's the bartender at the bar who's always there Mac. Who are the people, yeah, Mac, who are the characters that represent those locations? And then I don't necessarily have, <clears throat> you might also have your sort of a list in the more style like you, hang on. You might also have a list of names like you described that can kind of float everywhere, but I like to have characters that are locked into specific locations. Um, and in Fate, you do that by doing it with the players because then it's not just you saying darn it there's gonna be a bartender and his name's gonna be mac but it can it can be you as a group sit down and say we're interested in telling stories where some of our characters go to a bar who do we think of as a bartender and then you and i both think mac because that's a name that we associate with bartenders and so you can kind of if you don't do that by yourself like, I like to prep with players. I like to build worlds with players because it's a thing that fate suggests. And I like it because it means that I don't necessarily have to do as much character building because you guys, as the players, have said, we think of bartenders as people named Mac. So that way, when I say, oh, when you run into Mac, even if he's not in the bar at the time, you're going to think he's the bartender because right. of your preconceived notions. Yeah, and I, I agree. It's great to have players also write in some stuff with the with the NPCs. I just personally like to give the names specifically to the NPCs. Yeah. Partially just so that I don't end up with the same seven names every single time I play a game. Yeah. Um, but you can the... combine those two things 100%. That's great. Yeah. And 
and sort of that that sort of uh that flows ne- neatly into sort of my next thing which is when i'm thinking about the story that i want to tell i'm only one part of the the group that's telling the story because i'm big into sort of group storytelling oh yeah and so absolutely one of the things that you can do is when you're like, so rather than even just me sitting down and saying, what are the locations? Um, you can have the players determine the locations, which is a thing that we did when we played Noir World at Metatopia last year. With uh, John Adamus, the writer yeah. of Noir World, who's fantastic, great guy. And so he had sort of, we had sort of established that there was going to be a heist and that we were all going to be characters in the town having just experienced this heist. Right. And we went around and said, here's all the different locations that are interesting to us that we might be interested in having a scene in, because we kind of knew that every location was going to have at least one scene at some point, because that's something that Noir World calls for. That's really good. That's something that I'm actually now feeling like I should maybe start doing. And and in terms of using that as prep, you can do it without explicitly explaining why you're doing it for your character mm-hmm. with your players. But if you say, "Give me a bunch of locations for our masks game," they're going to give you locations that they're interested in telling superhero stories at. Yeah, I was actually just thinking that I might, when I play, sit down and say, "Hey, Jeff, where does your character hang out?" Yeah, and then and you, tell and me can, another location. <laughs> And you can tweak that, and you can say, like, if you know for your story you want to mm-hmm. have, uh, like, a soda bar. Right. You can say, what's the soda bar's name, and, like, what's a cool thing about it? The guy's and name then, And then you can pitch them. Uh, but you can also just say, where do you hang out, and hope they say whatever, and then tweak your story to work. That's a matter of swapping that prep, that if yeah. it was a soda bar and now it's an arcade... Yeah, that's okay. Same Here's thing your same story happen. there, but now it's a place that the that the carrot that you know the players are interested in in being. Right, exactly. Hmm. I'm doing that. Yeah, I'm gonna try that out. That's that's how I'm hacking this game <laughs> yeah, that I haven't done any hacking right for. And so, <laughs> and because because I'm really bad. I mean, a lot of this comes out of I'm bad at planning. I'm bad at planning. Yeah, that's. That and is so really part of my issue, too, is I, have I of, don't want to sit down and plan. That's I've terrible. I've given up on it. But I'm also pretty bad at storytelling, which is why I like pen and paper games. Having played some of your games, James, I can yeah. tell you that that is not true. Okay, well, it's true. Um, it's not true. And so if you can lean on your players to tell you the stories that they want to hear, you can then tell them those stories, and they'll be like, oh my gosh that was such a compelling story i wanted to know that i wanted to do that i'm so glad we did and you can say well yeah i definitely planned that yeah i planned Um, that that's similar to the uh picking the core concepts for the playbooks mm -hmm. um and kind of what i was aiming for and angling at i think you worded it about 20 minutes shorter and much better and okay so then the last piece and the kind of other thing that i've really pulled with me is when we played urban shadows um, one of the first things that Urban Shadows asks you to do is go around and tell rumors about other factions, mm-hmm. which is cool because you're not asking players for facts because I, right. I agree that I don't like asking players for facts. Asking them for locations is a little different, um, but you're not- I'm sometimes super cool with asking players for facts. Dungeon World, especially I'm really okay, good yeah. with that. Um, 
But asking for rumors is really interesting because it means you're not asking what is something that is true about this other group of people. You're asking what do you believe is true about this other group of people. Right. And you can, you as the GM can make it true or mm-hmm. you can play with it and make it something else. I, I like to take that question and say, James, tell me a rumor about wizards. Yeah. So um, James, tell me a rumor about wizards. Oh, they only eat mice. Okay, does your character believe that? Yes. Is it true? No. Okay. And then you have not only the rumor, you have the truth. the truth and what a character is going to be acting under the assumption of. So it's great to be able to tell, have like an urban shadows hunter that is saying, oh man, I this place is run by a witch. And you ask them, your character believes that? And they say, yes. And then you say, is it true? And they go... No, no. And you're like, oh, there's going to be an awkward confrontation yeah. midway through this game then. Yeah, I mean, I would probably, I would, I, I might say that I would keep that truth. Okay. Uh, as, like, as the, the GM, keep the truth telling inside yourself so that you can change it <laughs> if, if you need to. I can see that. I also really like getting rid of secrets at the table. Yeah. Because it lets players play towards the secrets. Yeah. Um, the example I'm going <clears> to <throat> give is, um... Dogs in the Vineyard, we played. Yeah, I was going to bring Maybe I'll say that sentence in order. (laughs) Uh, The example I'm going to give for this is Dogs in the Vineyard, which we played together not too long ago. And you were sent to go find a dog. Oh, that's about, like, Wild West lawmen slash religious figures. It's great. It's an early Vincent Baker game. And you were sent to find uh, Shepard Brune. And as soon as you met a guy... I started describing him as the man wearing Brune's coat. Which tips off the players that it's not him, but yeah. everyone else thinks it is. Right. And so the players asked me, wait, is this Brune? And I smiled, and I said, this is the man wearing Brune's coat. Yeah. And then you guys were able to set up several just wonderful, fantastic scenes about getting that information without having to spend 20 minutes going and talking to the first guy outside of every store you were like oh this is the bad guy let's get him yeah that reminds me actually of an idea that i've pitched in the past which is to do a like a csi police themed game okay where you are characters trying to solve a crime oh, and I to love s- procedurals and to start because every crime procedural begins with you, dun, like, dun. you as the viewer seeing the crime happen and so my idea was have all the like have the characters or all the players prep their their police characters sit down at the table and say all right here are your new characters now your criminals do the crime. Oh, I love that. And then <laughs> I and like then that. <laughs> and then maybe and then the way I was going to do this was you don't let them go through the whole crime like you get to the point where they've stolen the thing and they're about to get away and that's when you cut to the the logo for the oh. show flip back to their police characters, they know what the crime was, they know who the bad guys were, they know some of what they stole, but they don't know how they got away. I like it. I like it. We should play that game. Yeah. And that kind of leads into the last thing that I like, which is using either the game or other games to build the setting. I I used to listen to this podcast called Actual People, Actual Play. Um, and I think, I think it's defunct now, which is sad, but, um, one of the things that they did 
was they played a Star Wars game. Okay. And and the very first thing that they did, well, after they had made characters, was they sat down and the GM gave them a whole bunch of Sith characters, and okay. said, "You are bad guys." We're in a, it was a it was a post um, original trilogy world where no one really knew the Sith existed. Okay. Um, and in a sort of beginning of Battlestar Galactica type moment, said, "Go attack this space station." And so then these guys get to play, all the players get to play a high-level Sith characters and kind of just wreak havoc on this space station. Okay. They get their little joy of the evil campaign. Yeah. And then they... And then they know the crimes they've committed. They know the powers and the darkness inside these characters because they've lived them a little bit. Right. And then game session two, you pick up with their real characters who are now Jedi reacting to this new Sith incursion. Right. When they interact with the characters, when they, when they finally confront those char- those bad guy characters, they know how scary and how powerful they are because they've been there. Right. And it's a little bit like some of the um, JRPGs on uh, the Game Boy and stuff like that, that it has you fighting a big scary bad guy as like a future higher level of yourself. But without the threats to yeah. continuity, that means you can never kill a character. Yeah. And so I like the idea that you can build you can build the world, you can reinforce bad guy threats, and you can and you can establish facts about the plot by letting the players do it. Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. I did something related. I it's not quite exactly what uh, what you were saying, but I was going to be playing a Pathfinder campaign with some friends, mm-hmm. and we thought about it, and we went, you know what? I am tired of dwarves. I am tired of elves. Let's make our own races, make our own world. That's cool. And we did that using um, Dawn of Worlds, mm-hmm. which we talked about, I think, in the first episode. Yeah. And it worked okay. It ended up putting way more burden on me as the GM than I intended. Uh, It ended up that we created the world together in one session. We had a map. It was really, really nice. We had some history. And then I had to stat up all the individual races. And, like, live up to that world. And, like, live up to that world. Uh, I think with a lighter system, that would work better. Pathfinder is probably one of the worst things you could choose. Because I had to come up with every stat adjustment for every race yeah and we had so many races but it ended up being really cool when they got together with like a council of some of the leaders of the world and there was a raccoon and a bug person and all sorts of cool crazy stuff yeah we did a similar thing uh with our little online uh like pilot rpg group where we played microscope to set up for a wrestling game we were going to play and Microscope is cool because it's designed to sort of let you flesh out the overall history of the world and then sort of focus in and play very RPG-heavy, rules-light vignettes throughout the history of the world. I really enjoyed Microscope. I wasn't big... This is going to sound a little hypocritical because I'm on an RPG podcast. I didn't like the role-playing segments of it. Yeah. I, I really liked, though, putting all of it together 
and creating this world and creating this history. I feel like we got some great characters out of it. The role-playing segments did feel like a little bit of a diversion because so much of the rest of the game is just spitting out ideas for the world. Yeah, I think that one thing that could work a little better for me for using it is to increase the amount of banter. Yeah. So talk about the characters, talk about the scenes a little bit more instead of role-playing. Maybe even have a thing that instead of choosing a roleplay section, you say, hey, I'd like to talk about this character for a couple minutes. Yeah. And then I we mean, spend a couple minutes talking about that character. And if we're talking about just pulling out parts of this game to do as prep for other games, then that's fine, I think. I mean, because even... So the, sort of roughly the way that Microscope works is you set a start point for the beginning of the like history that your characters are interested in and, a, right. and, a, and an end point. And then you break that history down into eras. And then you break the eras down into segments. And so even if you weren't doing that with other players, you could do that with just yourself. Oh, yeah, to absolutely. To flesh out the history of the world. 100%. Or, or you could do it with players. And again, sort of my guiding light is always, or what are the players interested in? story-wise. Right, and sitting down and playing a one-player game of Microscope sounds an awful lot like planning to me. Mm -hmm. But sitting down to play a light game of Microscope with your players before you start your campaign sounds fun and also sounds like a way of getting your players to tell you what they're interested in in the story you're going to be telling without asking them that explicitly. Yeah, absolutely. That's That 100% makes sense, especially on a game that doesn't have as defined playbooks as the yeah. Apocalypse World game, that you can't use that as a starting point. Yeah, because again, a lot of times I'm thinking about pre- prepping for Fate, yeah. which doesn't have that. Which I would never do. Or at least... That's not true. I could see eventually, someday, me prepping a Fate game. Yeah, I think you will. I'll make a deal with you, James. If you play a LARP, I will run a Fate game. Oh, that's not gonna happen. Maybe we'll talk about this later. What, you don't want to talk with, without the audience and the children listening? I don't, want them to know, I don't want them to know how much I don't want to LARP. This is how the sausage is made, guys. <laughs> James is censoring me. He's going to take out this part of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So that's kind of how I approach prepping for games. A lot of my prep is trying to get the players involved in the prep, because I want yeah. them to have input as early as possible. And so while I definitely always go in with ideas for what I'd like to tell in terms of stories... And I do like the idea, I do like your mantra of pick, don't roll, because mm-hmm. you do want to make the world feel lived in. Yeah. But there are definitely things, especially if you're not playing a game like, that is as genre heavy, where you're going to want to, like, in Masks, you know what the characters are, are going to be interested in, because you're playing Masks. <laughs> the game yeah, has already absolutely. told you what you're interested in. The fact that you've picked Masks as the game to play says you're interested in telling a type of story. Yeah. But if you're playing a game that doesn't have quite as much uh, of the genre baked in, you need to find out. And right. optimally finding out in as obtuse way as possible so that the players don't realize what you're doing, I think, the better. Yeah, I've heard referred to the, uh, the Sega principle. Uh that you don't let players create their own challenge. Yeah. Which, you know, I can see that. That makes some sense. At the risk of sounding a little bit kind of devious and evil, if you let them build things, that gives them you things that they care about that you can destroy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When I ask, oh, so who are your teenage superheroes' family members? 
that is not me being curious in their genealogy. Yeah. That is me looking for people that are definitely going to get captured. Yeah. I mean, or when you ask if you sit down and establish that everyone hangs out at an arcade or a soda bar and the guy who runs the soda bar is named Mac, when you start to play the game and Mac isn't the guy running the soda bar and you don't Ooh. mention the fact that Mac isn't the soda, like the guy, you just have established Steve Gard, the soda jerker. Yeah. Then you know that they're going to be thinking, hey, wait, where's Mac? I thought we said Mac was the guy. What happened? It's so great when a player turns to you and says, wait, that wasn't the guy's name. We said the guy's name was this. And you could say, oh, I know. This is somebody yeah. different. Subverting expectations. <laughs> it's so excellent. good. And so I don't do as much GMing, but I do a lot of playing. And... When I'm playing games, I'm constantly thinking, what about this game did we do? Like, what when we were when we were making characters for this game, or when we were doing our world building for this game, what did we do that was really great that I could sort of extrapolate just that part and use later in my own world building for the next time I do GM a game? Yeah, pay the planning forward and steal. Steal yeah. and steal and steal and steal, and that is okay. Yeah. Because you can do entire movies without your players noticing. I have done entire movies without my players noticing, and it was awesome. Uh, my friend Ryan played a superhero game. Okay. They played the story of King Arthur. Oh, awesome. Because they're all, like, English literature nerds, yeah. and they know more than just the beginning story. Right. And they didn't realize until they had, like, gotten to the final battle of the two armies of superheroes and villains lined up, and they were about to go negotiate, and, you're like, and he was like, oh my god, he's King Arthur, and that's Mordred, and we're about to have this final battle sequence, and I didn't realize we played right into it until just this moment. Oh, that's so good. Hopefully I remembered that story correctly. Well, even but, if you uh, haven't, he can correct yeah, you. It's that's a, fine. Yeah. I like those things where you can take, you can steal ideas from great works of literature and just use those as plot starters. Yeah, I think most people that have written books are probably better writers than me. So I'm okay with that. But even if you don't, and even if you don't get to the point where you're at the final battle scene, if you do the beginning scenes of like Alice in Wonderland, that's still a good story hook. Oh, yeah. Propose, like if you. If you show all your characters a fancy mirror they can step into and go to a magical world, that's still a good story. Yeah, and then instead of doing Alice in Wonderland, you can do Narnia, because then yeah. you get Reepicheep, who's an awesome mouse, <laughs> mic drop. I think that's it. I think that is hacking your prep. Yeah. So, if you guys have cool stuff that you do when you are prepping, or if you want to make an impassioned defense for planning... Let us know. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to hear from you. Maybe check out the Masks game as well. See if you enjoy it. Yep. Uh, I don't know if this is something we're going to be doing a lot in the future or just completely intermittently. We'll we'll see how people feel about it and how we feel about it. I'm a little afraid going in completely unedited. We'll see what happens. We do all these episodes in one take. I don't know what you're talking about, Brandon. There's no editing. Right. I just mean that if it's live, they might occasionally hear when we pause to take a drink of uh. water. Which is okay. twice every yeah. episode each. But yeah, so I think that's good. I definitely want to know what other games like Microscope or uh, what was the game you used? Dawn of Worlds. Because that's the thing I like to do. I like to, pre I like to prep with other games. <laughs> so let me know what you do for that. It might be interesting to try out Questlandia for that oh, by yeah. Hannah Schaefer. I'd, uh, that, that is supposed be to be an cool. amazing game. I cannot wait to play it. 
Yeah. And I feel like it puts you at a great starting point. Yeah. Build a ruined fantasy world. Yeah, and then play in it so good. Yeah. That would be very good to play, if you kept it serious enough, Yeah, to play a Mistborn story in. Oh my because, gosh. Because that's basically Mistborn. That is basically Mistborn. Maybe when we do our future episode for how to play Mistborn... James, spoiler alert! Don't spoilers, hype things! Yeah. Um, we might talk about that again, yeah. because I think that's a good idea. Yeah, so if you have anything to say about hacking prep, about planning things, about Mistborn, let us know. If you have anything to say about that, or any future topics you want us to cover, let us know at, at StopHackAndRoll on Twitter. Or I'm at and the meltdowns, and I'm at Doctor Captain Cobalt. Yeah, and you can email us too. Uh, I, either of our names at stophackandroll.com, and that's the website that you can check out. Stophackandroll.com. And if you've got a really good reason that we should be on Tumblr, we could get on Tumblr. I think we are officially now on G plus. Okay. But only so that I could set up this Hangouts on air. So we'll see. Do you know what time the that um, is going to be? Yes, that is going to be at noon. Okay. Well, I'll try to get the podcast out during like the morning commute so people can listen okay. on their way into work and then turn it on while they're at work, not doing stuff. Hey, that'd be great. Yeah. During their lunch and break. Let us know what you think of that as well, because we could maybe consider future actual play stuff. Yeah. And when you're sitting down at your uh, your writing desk, your old-timey writing desk, to plan or prep whatever game you're running next, don't forget to stop, hack, and roll. Zero Hour is also in a mech suit. Oh. Usually. Sometimes not, probably. Hmm.